He has a passion for people. He has a passion for relationships. Uh, he spent most of his time in ministry serving as a youth pastor. He has also served uh, as an associate pastor and as an interim pastor in Minnesota and in Florida. And we are blessed and privileged to have him speak to us this morning. So, Brian, welcome, and it's all yours. So I forget the kind of emotions that that video kind of brings up because that was not camp last summer. <laughs> um, the worst three days of my life, or at least the, last, the worst three days of the last 15 years was Memorial Day weekend last year because um, we didn't have anybody, anybody at camp because we couldn't. Um, and so I sent all the staff home to go see your families, go do whatever you want because we don't have to be here. We stayed, my family, because someone's got to feed the horses and take care of that stuff, but that's what we do. And, uh, but I went down... Neighbor called me and said he saw a broken fence, so I went down to the shop to get some fence stuff and drove down to camp, and there wasn't anybody there on Saturday morning. Pulled up by the dining hall, and I just cried for a long time. Um, so July or June, uh, June 10th can't get here quick enough when we have uh, that kind of thing happening again. So we're, uh, we're going to have a great summer this summer, um, and I'm very confident we had a, our trailblazer retreat was this weekend, so it was either hang out with a bunch of third through fifth graders and have a lot of fun, or come and do a wild game feed and have a lot of fun. <laughs> I came here. Um, anyways, the, uh, the whole theme of our, of our summer this summer is it's, it's called Created for Community. Scaling the summit, training for the trek. The, uh, the whole idea that we're taking this is, you know, someone that goes and climbs Mount Everest, they don't just pack a bag and they go. They, they plan and they prepare for years, months. They bring people and resources together and they have a team. I've been reading stories about these mountaineer guys that go climbing. And the, and the number of people who have died on Everest and it's in that last thousand feet, because they didn't quite plan accordingly or they didn't have enough people on their team then there's the stories of those that walk, that, that are climbing, and they had to go around someone who was on their last gasping breath because they couldn't afford to stop to give them any of their oxygen because they had it all planned out for just how much they could have. So this whole thing that we call the Christian life, and we do this in community, and because we, we're, we were created for that, um, that's where we're going this summer. But the more important part for me this summer, and the most exciting part is, because the Northwest Conference does camping the way that we do, where the churches own the camps, the Northwest Conference is the only conference that the churches actually own the camps. So there's four camps in Minnesota, there's 149 churches, and 63 of them own Lake Beauty. So out to here, Brandon, Sioux Falls, Fargo, all the way to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, down to the Iowa border and up north of Staples, Take out the 47 Twin City churches that go to Covenant Pines, that other camp where I met Jesus, and I still love it. 
all those other camps are, or all those other churches are Lake Beauty. So we're pulling from all over the place. But one of the things that we're doing this summer is we're talking to the kids and we're talking to the families of family camps about the importance of being in the community of the church. We've kind of taken that for granted over the past years just by saying, you know, you, you come and you, you have a mountaintop experience then you go back to church, you know. No, we're, encur- we're, we're encouraging people, you need to be a part of church because that's where that long-term discipleship happens. We have more contact hours with kids at camp in one week than the church does all year long just because of the number of hours that they're there instead of an hour or two hours a week or whatever they get when they're here. And so... We want to equip them, the kids and the parents and the adults, that when you come, you go back to the church because that's where that long-term growth happens. And so we're being very intentional about that, and part of that's because that's my passion for for being a part of the church. I found this quote somewhere, and I I can't remember where I found it, but it says, Christian community is a group of people built upon an uncommon unity in Christ. In a world where individualism reigns supreme, God works against the grain, calling us an uncommon unity. We say it's uncommon because the unity of the church should be unlike anything the world can offer. It's unlike anything that the world can offer because its foundation is a crucified Messiah. God came to earth, set aside his needs so that you and I could have our ultimate need met, a relationship with God. And all God asks of you is that you do the same for one another. So our theme verse for the summer is share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Obviously, 2020 has been a very different year. Camp was very different. We fortunately were able to write a proposal to the state, and we became a resort. We couldn't do youth overnight camps because they were banned by the governor. But we could be a resort, and all resorts were open, Right? So we wrote a proposal. I sent it to the health department. I called my health department gal. I said, so I've already emailed it to you. She says, how many pages was it? I said, it's 15. She goes, you're good enough. I'm not even going to read it. That's how much they want us to be open, and they knew that we needed to be. But we, did, we, we got to see God at work a lot this summer. One of the things we did was camp in a box. You could buy camp in a box, and you could run camp with your kids for a week at home. Gave you access to some Facebook things and some YouTube things. One of the cool stories was a mom sent me, or she called me. She says, Brian, I just got to tell you this because this was awesome. I did this with, with my two daughters all week. We got to Friday, and the girl says, wait a minute. Daddy wasn't here. He goes to work every day. We need to do this next week again. So they did it a second week when Dad got home from work at night, and it was a three-hour thing every night with Dad. So I just thought that was kind of cute. We learned that family ministry is a super important thing, and we did the family camp things last summer, starting on Wednesday through Sunday. Now what we're doing is we're we're adding seven full family camp weeks to to camp. So you come in on a Sunday, you leave on a Sunday. Bring Bring one of your kids up to camp, drop them off on Sunday, keep your other kid or three with you. Stay at camp for the week, have fun. Pick up your kid at the end of the week, stay for a couple more days, let them talk about all the things that God did and all the things that happened in their cabins with their, with their friends. Because as soon as you hit the blacktop on Highway 27 coming out of camp, you're planning tomorrow and next week's events and what you have to do. So now you get some time to focus with your kids. We hope it works, but I think, it, well, 
they're already filling up, so I think, it, I think they're going to work. You know, financially, the P&L looks horrible, uh, but there's still cash in the checkbook. God, you can't explain that to most people that don't understand God, but this is God's camp. So we're still, we're still okay. We've been doing some fundraising, and so we now have a new high pole course. It's got 14 poles, 36 elements, 55 feet tall, and then there's a climbing wall, and then to right where that is, right there, where those two are standing, from the very top platform, one above, you're going to get up there, and then you're going to put on this little, this little thing on the back of your harness, and you're going to jump off, and you're going to self-belay down. It's kind of cool. I will be the first one to do it. So they're not hooked up yet, but they will be in April, on April 14th. So we had, the, we had money in the bank to do this, and we decided that we're not going to not have it ready to kick off 2021, so it will be ready to go this summer. The old, the old ropes course, it takes three staff persons, and you can have two people on it at a time. One's climbing up the wall, and one's going down the zip line. This, I, I can put 24 people on this thing at one time with three staff people as well. So this is a total game changer for us. Now we can have the schools out and during the midweeks kinds of things and just be able to have people on the property. Because once you get onto the property, you know, it's just it's a different feel and a different place, and that's where God shows up. So anyways, that's a little bit of an update. Now I'm going to get into my message. Because I'm really confident that the biggest problem of 2020 was not COVID, it wasn't the crazy election. It wasn't the racial tension. And I don't even think it was the murder hornets or the toilet paper shortage. I think the biggest problem in 2020 was the division that each of those things created amongst people, including and not excluding at all believers of Jesus, which is the sad part. It's blown up. It's driven daggers between people and family members and friends and churches and pastors. So we all know the two things that you don't talk about at the dinner table, right? What are those two things? No, don't whisper. I'm a camp director. We use loud voices and religion and politics, right? When I first got to camp, I joined the Rotary Club because I wanted to get to know business owners and I wanted them to realize that we're not some cult that drinks funny Kool-Aid because that's what everyone thought because we're outside of town, right? The problem with 2020 is politics and religion, now it's not just politics, now it's politics dot, 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 or it's religion dot, 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 right? All these extra things that we can argue and fight about. Neighbor across the lake, we were at, we were at the Rotary meeting, I never, didn't know who the guy was. He, was, he was all upset about a bunch of stuff, and neighbor next to me, the guy sitting next to me was a banker from town, he goes, you know who that is? And I said, no, he said, that's your neighbor across the lake, good luck. I introduced myself, and he had talked about his son had, having just been uh, de- deployed to Iraq, had a retaining wall that fell over, and I said, hey, I got four boys, we just got here. If you want some help building a wall, I'd be happy to help you. He, he looked at me and says, preacher, as long as we don't talk about politics and religion, we'll be just fine. I said, that's great, because I hate politics, and I will not talk about religion. The guy from the Baptist church went like this, because I don't ever talk about religion, I talk about relationship all the time, but that's a difference. So the other part that is a struggle for me in 2020 is that everyone's an expert now on all this stuff, right? Someone watched a YouTube video or Facebook post or they read it somewhere or they saw it on CNN or Fox. I'm covering both of my sides, right? Okay. 
liberals, conservatives alike, everyone's an expert, and yet no one knows what the thing to do is, and it changes every couple of minutes, so just wait, right? That's what this whole year has been. But we're able to share these newfound truths, truths, sitting behind a computer screen. And I know that the harder that I hit the keys on my computer, the more people know that I'm upset about it, right? No, it doesn't work that way. But we're living in a time where more people take offense over things that, that never, ever were an issue before. We've become quicker to get angry, and we've become just downright mean sometimes. And again, I've got churches in Wisconsin that have been open most of the, most of the time. I love going to visit my pastors in Wisconsin because we can go out for lunch. Couldn't do that in Minnesota. Come to South Dakota, it's pretty open. I think your governor's done a great job. And then we've got ours. <laughs> that's a whole other story. I won't go there. That's, that's politics, and I won't go there. There's a slide that's coming up here. It's uh, Romans 12, 9 through 18. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. People say it's going to take decades for us to understand what's happened over this last year, 18 months, and just the outcomes of all that, the mental health stuff. You can talk to Twyla about that because she's got all kinds of stuff on that. How many of you know someone that's hard to love? Don't point to the person next to you, because I'm going to send you home if you do. Okay. Oh, I saw a lot of hands. Okay, of course we do. We all, but 2020 has created even more of those people in our lives. They're just hard to love. I don't like people when I'm driving in traffic. I mean, that's, that's my biggest problem, and my wife hates it. We, so we have two tendencies, I think, that, that I think we're, we're getting a little bit too good at, and I, I want to kind of talk about this morning. The first one is, we tend to shame other believers for how they follow Jesus. Do you hear that? We tend to shame other believers for how they follow Jesus. I've watched so many people on Facebook, even our ministerial Facebook pages, we're, we just beat each other up. Do we have to get angry and fight in public formats? Because then the world just sees how bad we do this, right? I love being the pastor outside the four walls. That's kind of always been my, my, my motto. Because I want to be with the people that don't know Jesus. That's where I spend a majority of my time. Now, you know, but we, we, we start to judge. We're becoming more judgmental. And how is it that we got so spiritually smart recently? It's like we're, we're one step above sometimes. And I'm not saying that everything or anything should be accepted or okay. Scripture is still the only rule, and we need to follow, and we shouldn't back off, bend, or water it down. That's not what I'm saying. But we shame people for how they vote. Denominations are fighting amongst themselves. 
over small doctrinal differences. Sometimes we need to get, sometimes we just need to agree to disagree. But we need to figure out how to get along and love each other. It's a place where we definitely have room to grow on. I literally heard this at, uh, at the grocery store in Long Prairie. Two guys, I don't know if they're friends or not, but they're obviously acquaintances because they knew each other. The one guy says, I don't think you're a Christian because how can you vote liberal? Okay, that was just, that wasn't necessary, right, in public. Or I heard this at the garage where I get my truck fixed. Two guys sitting, at the, sitting in the chairs reading their paper in the morning while they're getting their oil changed. One guy says, you know, conservatives, all they seem to do is hate. If it doesn't fit in their little box, they dispel it. To that one, I did sit down and have a little conversation with those two for a little while. I had an hour. So, but how do we get so smart? These petty differences, and I'm guilty. I, I, I do have opinions. I have a lot, and hard, long held. But we need to get out of our small minds. James 4, 11, 12 says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Do we really think that we've got it all figured out, that we can judge? Accountability is super important. And I think because we've lost some connections with people, some of that maybe has gone by a little bit. I was having coffee with a guy um, in town right before this last lockdown in Minnesota. Non-Christian guy, blatantly a non-Christian guy. But we have had some of the greatest talks, and he's a really good friend. He says this, he says, if, if you're not willing to see my point of view, or even more important, listen to me, your appearance of Christ has lost it for everyone. You get that? What non-Christians are seeing is if we're not willing to listen and have a, have a decent conversation with them, our opportunity for Christ to be seen in us is lost. Maybe we need to find a way to find the things that we do agree on and then build a relationship with them as we move to have a voice in the things that we've agreed to disagree about before. It works. Because where he and I are in conversations 13, 14 years later, we're talking about God, we're talking about end times, we're talking about what does all this mean. And we said that that were things that we weren't going to talk about. You know, the thing that makes me the most sad or upset is the person who's loving all of this distension is Satan himself. So whether you grew up in Sunday school or not, everyone knows this little light of mine. Because it's been in all kinds of, everywhere, right? So this little light of mine, I'm going to let shine. Don't let Satan, what is it? Blow it out. Satan is winning because we're snuffing out the light ourselves in a lot of this way that we're acting and responding to people. Romans 12.10 says, Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Love one, love one another. Don't fight against each other. We all want to love Jesus and others, and we want to see the world unified. And that's kind of the goal. John 13.35, slide. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
Craig Groeschel, uh, pastor down at uh, Oklahoma. He's got like 900 campuses. I, it's, it's, they're huge. They're a covenant church, so I'm pretty proud of that fact. But Craig Groeschel said this uh, several weeks ago. Life is too short and your calling is too great to be offended by something small. All of us who profess Jesus have a calling, right? Life is too short and your calling too great to be offended by something small. The bottom line is we've all been offended at some point, right? And being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. And so if we make the choice to not be offended by the things that some people say because they were dumb, or whatever, okay, we can, we, we can choose to not be offended. So the second thing that I think that we are, have a tendency to do is that we tend to shame non-believers for how they don't follow Jesus. We know his truth, we've experienced all of his love and forgiveness, but how are we conveying that message? We try to argue, sometimes we pester, or we throw the book at them. Well, the Bible says, and we hit them up hard. For most people, that doesn't work very well. Some people, they can pull it off, but most, we can't. So this guy I was having breakfast with in the cafe. He says, let me, let me give you a real hand, exp- let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. He says, so a guy comes in late to work or to a meeting or to a lunch, and, and, and the boss says, You are horrible at being on time. Don't let it happen again. Get it straight. He says, what if if that boss would have said this? So uh, it looks like you're running behind a little bit today. Is everything okay? Anything I can do to help? Then he goes on to explain, that was me. And my boss goes to church at that church right there. He says, why would I want to be in his church? Proverbs 18, 19, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. The woman at the well, story in John 4, I've read and reread and reread and actually read it again last night in a big comfy chair and read it again this morning because this story is becoming so pertinent to me right now. Jesus is sitting at the well Woman, Samaritan woman comes in. She's not supposed to be there because Jews and Samaritans, they don't talk. Samaritan woman, she, she's making some wrong decisions. He asks for a cup of water. She asks him why he's even talking to her. So she knows that there's a difference, that she shouldn't be doing that. Jesus doesn't even get into that conversation. He's thinking if she just knew how his father was offering living water. She was so used to being shamed, she didn't know what to do. She doesn't get, he doesn't get into the little details. He offers the living water. He doesn't stay back. He doesn't hold back from calling her out on the things that she's doing that she shouldn't be. But he's making her think of the answers, and he's not giving them to her, right? Why don't you go back and get your husband? I don't have a husband. No, that's right. The man that you're living with is the sixth man that you've been with because the first five are gone. He didn't have to say that. She knew that. He simply asks questions. There's no condemnation. He helps her to see the truth, and she goes back to her village, and she shares with the others about her interaction with this guy named Jesus. And we know it was huge because they all left the village and came back to him and spent two days 
listening. They found living water. They weren't beaten for being who they were. They, but they entered into a conversation. They, they found love and forgiveness and hope. Where did we ever come up with we have to argue our faith? Uh, Matthew 22, love God, love others, right? Two greatest commandments. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. I love that verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, period. That's it. Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. That word overlooking, in, in the Greek it's avour, A-V-O-U-R. It's to pass over, to get above. That was helpful for me. When I overlook an offense, it's a conscious decision in real time, right? But to get over it, it's over. I mean, I, I'm over it. It's an intentional thing. I'm over it, right? It's up and over. I'm done. I have way more important things to get done than to deal with that. So I've challenged myself. I'll challenge you if you'd like to take the challenge. It's not a news resolution because I always fail by like the third day with resolutions, but I, if I make a commitment, I follow through on my commitments. And so, and my commitment is to start to do this with the people who are closest to me and whom I love the most. I'll explain what I'm, gonna, what I'm talking about here in a second. So, I love my wife, but sometimes Rhonda's the recipient of my frustrations. When I'm tired, I go off of my own flesh and blood while I try to make it look good in front of other people. And become, I'm, I'm beginning to realize that more and more. I still fail at this, I'm still, but I'm working at it. One of the things that I love most about Rhonda is that before we got married, she asked me to, to agree to two things. One, that I would read a book, and that was a big deal, because <laughs> I don't like to read. No, I'm kidding. But I don't, so it was a big deal. I, but we read the book. Uh, it was a biography of uh, Billy and Ruth Graham. And one of the biggest things that they talk about in their biography is the, is the word divorce, that they, that they agree that they would never allow the word divorce to come up in a conversation between the two of them, ever. And they didn't. And so we said if we don't ever use the word, then that's not going to ever be an issue. And so we did, and we haven't, and we won't. Rhonda also asked me to agree that we would never have a fight. And I can tell you that after 30-plus years of being married, we have never had a fight. She's sitting right there, so I can't lie, right? We agreed not to fight, but we, that we would fellowship from time to time. And I can tell you that over 30 plus years, we have had many great moments of fellowship. Maybe even a little steam once in a while, but here's the deal. I was a wrestler and a football player in high school. I was never the smallest guy on the team. If I was going to fight somebody, I was going to win. Because in a fight, someone has to win, right? That's not how we want to build a marriage, on someone has to win the fight. We want to build it on we have fellowship times, because we're going to talk about it. We're going to figure out how to work it out, but we don't have to win. And it's okay not to win every time. It's, it's transformed things. Love doesn't seek to win the argument. Love seeks to protect the relationship. 
Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That word bless is to speak well of, to wish the best blessings for someone. E-logo is, is the word. E-U is good. Logo is word. But it's to speak well of that person that was just rude to you, that just cut you off in the middle of the highway. Even though you guys can drive 80 here, I still see it happen. That person that betrays you. That person that just isn't nice to you. It's speaking well. It's wishing the best for that person. God bless them. Ron was having a conversation with one of our sons the other day, and he, she says, Joshua, God bless you. And he says, what did you just say? God bless you. He says, well, God bless you too, Mom. And then he hung up. They were having a little fellowship moment. But anyways, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. We can't control the other person, but what we can control is us, right? It takes two people to reconcile, but it only takes one to forgive or to ask for forgiveness where it starts, right? There's an author named Bob Goff, speaks a lot, right? He's got a couple of great books out, always talking about love kinds of things. Everybody Always is the most recent book that he wrote, and the next slide, yeah, there you go. People don't need information. They want examples. God wants to use people like us to show the world what we know about Jesus by having them see the way we love the people around us, particularly the difficult ones. I love the difficult ones. I don't know why. I'm attracted to them. Or, they're, or they come find me, I don't know. But I love the difficult ones. The next slide is another quote from Goff. It says, In simplest terms, Jesus came to earth and declared he would turn God's enemies into friends. He didn't use $20 words or lectures or by waving a bony finger at people who made mistakes. He convinced us with love, and he does it without fear or shame. He doesn't raise his voice and shout over the noise in our lives. He lets the power of love do all the talking for him. We have the same shot in other people's lives every single day. It's just a great reminder. Jesus didn't tell us to be right. He told us to be loving. We need to tell the truth, and yes, we need to hold on to that. God's truth in a loving way. But only Jesus has the power to change lives. It's not going to be our theological knowledge, our ki- but our kindness and our compassion and our forgiveness and just by letting God use us. God never said it would be easy, but it would work. Sometimes I want to take people and I just want to shake them and just say, you need to know Jesus. Your life will be so much better. That doesn't work. I don't want anyone to, fi- anyone to leave um, feeling like, well, I, I just, I've, I've blown it. Because God's way too loving of a God. He wants, us to, he wants us to change. And I want 2021 to be that year where people see us and people see the church in a very different light. A place where they want to be a part of and be, be involved with because there's something bigger. I want to love God and I want to love people. I want to be humble and I'm really trying. <laughs> it's, it's, some, it's hard. I know it is. Okay, But if you're feeling like you want to know that God wants to change your heart, God loves you. We say it all the time. But we forget about it. We forget how much God loves us. And we're coming into this season right now where it's the greatest reminder that we have of what Christ did for us, right? 
so my prayer has been in the mornings when I'm just, I'm laying in bed, I'm just trying to go back to sleep or whatever. Just move in our hearts, God. Encourage us to be more and more like you. Change us in how we see people, how we interact. I want to be your hands and your feet. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He will not force himself on you. He never has. He's waiting for us to respond to him. And uh, so this is the season. If we've got to do some business and get, the, get that stuff straight, John would love to talk to you. I had more fun at the, at the basketball game on Friday night watching John go from person to person, talking and having conversations. I was like, that makes my heart my heart very happy. So as we leave, let's commit to going out and loving those around us, those in our community, those in our faith family, those in our biological family. Let's love better. Let's care better. Again, I, I'm still trying to get better. I have a long ways to go, but it's totally worth it. So let's pray. God, I just, I thank you for who you are. I thank you I thank you for this, this body of believers, this family of you, um, for what they're doing in this community, and Lord, for last night, the conversations that were had around the tables, and God, just for your provision. God, we pray that in this season, as we come up to Good Friday, and we come up to Easter, and Lord, in this Lent season, that we are reminded of your incredible faithfulness to us and your love for us even when we're not deserving but God the unconditional love that you send to us that you give it to us and that Lord you're just waiting for us to respond so Lord we want to respond um, and we want to we want to seek your face and we want to be where you want us to be in in the places and the people that we talk to where you want us to be we pray all these things in Christ Jesus name amen we're going to sing again the Just As I Am. Um, but before we do, one of the things we talk about with the girls often is that we need to think about Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. And that's something that we try to remember is we were just as wretched when we came to Christ. And like at the picture of the gentleman with tattoos, you know that all of our hearts start there. And then only through Christ can we see him. So just as I am, you know, as we sing these again, remember we come broken and wounded and he takes care of us. If you want to join us, you can stand. Just as I am without one but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Let's remember that last verse. Can you go back to that last slide? I want you to see it. We are welcomed with open arms by God himself. He loves us. Praise God, just as I am. Go out this week, love on people, and do it well.
please. God's asking us to. Amen.